We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Second Peter is, is an awesome letter. He's writing to Christians. And as a pastor, he really wants them to grow up so they won't be taken down. You know, he wants them to, to get strong so they won't be led away or led astray by false teachers. That's really the backdrop that's found in this letter. Uh, the false teachers so of the day, they were scoffing at the scriptures. You know, they were mocking God's messengers, saying things like God's son never came and therefore he's never coming again. I mean, they were really trying to pull people away from Jesus to instill doubt within their hearts, right? I mean, they were, at the end of the day, denying what it's all about, man. They were denying the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And so Peter, who knows better, what he ends up doing is he writes this letter and he wants to make sure that the Christians are, are healthy, that they're strong, that they're, that they're built up and they're rooted and grounded in the truth so that when the storm comes, when the enemy comes and he has various forms of trials and temptations to try to take us away from God, that these people who were sitting under his teaching that were receiving this love letter would not be susceptible to those false teachers. You know, if you were here last week, you might remember that we covered that, that ladder of virtues. And we read that Peter encouraged the people to, to give all diligence. I mean, to make every effort to add to their faith and to grow up as Christians. Remember back in verse 5 of this chapter, notice he said, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence. He said, add to your faith. You know, you got saved, praise God. Now you need to get strong. You need to add to that faith. And then in verse 10 of this chapter, he said, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. And so he wanted them to grow as Christians, and he wanted them even to examine their heart and to make sure they are Christians. I mean, are, are you a Christian? Are, are, we have to examine our own lives, um, uh, not to scare you or anything, but what if you died today? Are you sure you go to heaven? I mean, are you covered with the blood of Jesus? Have you given your life to him? Uh, if not, I pray that today would be that day that you would discover God loves you so much that he gave his son Jesus to die on that cross for you. And if you place your faith in him, not just a religion, not just in your head, but we're talking your heart, we're talking your life, then you can be saved as well. That's Peter's heart because that's Jesus' heart. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's heart. And then when you establish a relationship with him, he wants to bless your life. And he wants you to grow up and be everything that he's called you to be. And so this is Peter's heart. And, and so we read our, our study today begins in verse 12. He says, for this reason... I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, 
knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. The first thing we see in our study today is uh, reminders. Reminders of God. Uh, reminders of truth. Both present and future reminders. You know, um, I know I need reminders uh, big time. You know, my wife will tell me something. I'll say, sweetheart, I'm going to forget, like, by the time I walk out the door. And so I know it sounds crazy, but I'll tell her, maybe send me an email or a text message. That's how bad I am because I, I, I forget so easily. Uh, Peter here knew the nature of the beast. He knew how we are. And so he says, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. You know, I've noticed in life that oftentimes we fall short, not necessarily because we reject truth, but oftentimes because we neglect truth, right? Peter said that that's not going to be me, you know. Um, the word neglect here, it means to, to make light of, to not regard, to not really care. And, and that happens so easily you know, with the Lord, we can, uh, you know, you take a test and you ask people, do you believe in God? And most of them will say yes. Uh, do you believe in Jesus that he died for you? Yes. And so it's not like they reject him. It's that they neglect him. They don't read their Bibles. Uh, they don't really spend time in heart to heart prayer. A lot of people don't go to church anymore. You know, and it's through not necessarily reject, but neglect. That can happen so easily, Right. And Peter says, I'm not going to neglect to remind you of these things. I won't do that. It's so important. This is eternal. This is your soul. And so I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to, by the grace of God, care for you. And I'll show that care for you by reminding you of these things over and over and over again. You know, it's interesting. Look at verse 12 again. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. I mean, it's kind of funny. Peter says, I'm going to keep telling you this even though you already know this and even though you're already established in this. Because what ends up happening, you guys, and I know sometimes we're like, you know, we talk to our parents or whoever it is, our boss, Sometimes my wife, you know, and she'll tell me something, and, I, and then she'll tell me again. And I, I'm, I'm in my rebellious nature, you know what I say? I say, you already told me. You don't have to say it again. But she does. Why? Because I'm serious. You hear it again and again and again and again. It's like a truth that's driven into our hearts. And it's like every time we hear it, it's like that hammer goes down, boom. Boom, over and over, and that truth gets driven within us deeper and deeper. And that's what Peter sees. He, he, he sees the necessity of this, how we need to remind the, the congregation of this, even though they already know it, even though they're established in it. It needs to go down deep. You know, I like this because over the years, what I've found within the typical Christian congregation is that there are usually those who just want to hear, I just, I just want to hear something new. 
A lot of times there are people with that mentality, right? And they'll say, well, I already know that, what you know, the pastor is preaching on today. And so they go looking for something different, something new. It doesn't even matter to them if it's pure speculation. They'd rather have speculations and sensations rather than the solid truths of God's word. And so for us, we got to be really careful. One of the things I've learned about life as a, as a husband, as a dad, as a pastor, as a Christian is it's not complicated, it's not rocket science, it's not sophisticated, it's simple. It's the simple, solid truths, the basic beliefs of the Bible that will make you and I a strong Christian. And I'm telling you that. You know, one of the things that you'll hear from me over and over and over again is the importance of your quiet time with God. I cannot overemphasize how important it is you know, for me, I like to wake up in the morning. I like to get my cup of coffee. I like to open up my Bible and I like to just seek the Lord. And I read through his word and I ask him to speak to me. And then what I'll do is I'll write some scriptures down and then I'll pray those scriptures in my life. And then I pray, you know, all the other things that God has me to pray and the people I'm responsible to pray for. I mean, it doesn't happen in five minutes or ten minutes or a half an hour. It takes quantity, quality time to spend with the Lord to live this life. You'll hear that from me over and over again because I know I can't live without it. I can't walk in the Spirit without first having spent time with God. You know, and, and, we, and we hear the truths, the, the basic truths. What, what is it to be a husband? You know, well, I go work and I put money on, on, in the bank and, you know, she's got what she needs and I got my life and she got her life. And a lot of guys think that that's really all they have to do and that's not all they have to do. Yeah, we got to provide and, and protect, but man, you have to love your wife as Christ of the church and, and gave himself for her. You have to lead her spiritually, lead her to heaven. Well, she won't follow me. Well, you got to love her so that she'll want to follow you. See, life is not complicated, it's not sophisticated, it's just basic. And you'll hear those basics over and over and over again. And you don't need to hear something new. We just you need to hear something true. And Peter said, as long as I'm in this tent, I'm going to just keep reminding you of these things, even though you already know them, and even though you're already established in them, right? I mean, he says, I know, you know it, you're established, I'm going to keep on reminding you as long as I'm alive. Notice he says right there in, in verse 13, yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. You know, as long as I'm alive. You know, our, you guys know that your body is a tent. Some of you got some pretty cool tents. Almost brand new. Working condition is excellent. It keeps the rain out, stuff like that. A lot of you here, our tents are dilapidated, huh? Our bodies are breaking down. Uh, this that you see right here, this is not kind of the real me. The real me is within. It's my soul. It's my spirit. One day this tent is going to be taken down and I'm going to get a new tent. It's going to be glorious. He's going to be taller. I'm telling you that, man. I kind of want to grow my hair out, but what would happen if I, if I grew my hair out? You guys would see all my grays, right? 
in heaven, I don't think there's any gray. <laughs> Not sure. We'll see. But I tell you what, Peter just he says, as long as I'm in this tent, you know, and our bodies are just a tent housing our souls, right? As long as I'm in here, I'm going to stir you guys up by way of reminder. I'm determined to make sure that you have these reminders even after I die, he says. And I'm pretty sure that I'm going to die pretty soon. That, that's what he's saying right here, you know? I mean, Peter here is undoubtedly thinking about the words of Jesus. Uh, remember when the Lord Jesus Christ restored him to ministry uh, you can read about it in John chapter 21. In, in verse 18 and 19, this is what Jesus said to Peter. He said, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he, Peter, would glorify God. You know, Peter was fairly young at that time. You know, I don't know, maybe uh, late 20s, early 30s, perhaps. And Jesus said to Peter, one day, I know you've lived your life. You've kind of done whatever you want. But one day, I'm telling you this, someone's going to take you. They're going to stretch you out. And you're going to lay down your life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Peter went out. He lived his life. He served the Lord. Maybe um, 30 years later, we believe it was probably about A.D. 64 to 66, right around there, when Caesar Nero began to persecute the church, we know that history tells us that Peter was crucified upside down and he laid down his life. And Peter knew as he's sitting there in that Roman dungeon, in that cell, as persecution was beginning, he knew that he was about to die. You know, and I don't know, I, I, I kind of wish, I don't know, how, do you wish that you knew when you were going to die? Maybe not, huh? That would kind of trip you out. Like, okay, if you're going to die next year, we'll just say whatever the month is, the date is. Some of you here, you probably live your life up until then. Okay, I'll get my life right the night before, right? <laughs> I have a feeling, though, most of us here, when we think about it, we would probably be like, you know what, I better take care of business. You know, I better take care of my wife. Some of you guys maybe need to get life insurance. I don't know, you know. But you need to say the things you need to say to the people that you need to say it to. Peter here knew he was about to die. And he was just so laser focused. I need to remind you of these things. I need to make sure that when I die, you will always have a reminder of these things because these are the most important things in life it's the love of God and the Lord Jesus Christ and so what does he do he writes he writes a letter right I mean Peter knew his death was coming so he was determined to do his best and I just want to encourage you guys in that you know that none of us knows when we're going to die, it might be tomorrow. You know, I got a text message from one of the dear brothers that attends the church here. You know, and his friend's daughter died in the shooting in San Bernardino. Beautiful young girl, only 27 years old. She didn't know that this would be her last day at her company Christmas party. None of us know. 
So we should, like Peter here, be determined. Man, to know the truth and to share the truth and make sure that it is a reminder, reminded after us, right? I mean, Peter here, I love what he says. I think it's right as long as I'm in this tent to do what? To stir you up by reminding you. I mean, the Greek word translated to stir up here, it means to awaken. It means to arouse the mind and to render someone from being idle to being active. That's what I want to do. Peter knew all too well that Christians have that need to be stirred up because we become stale, right? We need to rise up because we get down. We need to look up because our eyes tend to look on lower things. Peter knew very, very well that Christians need to wake up many from the spiritual sleep and slumber we so easily fall into. You know, I don't know about you, but I can go home and there's a certain chair that I have. I'm telling you, it takes 10 seconds for me to fall asleep, man. I'm serious. Do any of you have those types of chairs? You know what I'm talking about? So I have two chairs. One is right here. Actually, it's not a chair. It's a couch, but it's a certain part of the couch, right? And the other next to it is a is a hard wooden chair, I guess a rocking chair. I, I didn't want to tell you I have a rocking chair in my house. So... If I choose to sit on the couch, you can ask my family. Okay, dad's a goner. Dad's a goner. He's out. But if I sit in the rocking chair, for whatever reason, I fall, I stay awake. Okay, kind of that's how it is with life, you know? I mean, what, what are you going to choose? Are you going to rise? Are you going to stay awake? Are you going to be aware of the spiritual battle that you're in? You know, Peter here wanted to remind them of these things because he wanted to stir them up. That's why he writes later even, if you go over to chapter 3, look what he says in verse 1. Same thing, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. I mean, he just wanted to remind them, wanted to stir them up. Here we are, close to 2,000 years later, reading his reminder, right? And it's helping us. Prayerfully that today this message from Peter, from the Lord, will stir us up. You know, because we need reminders, don't we? We become forgetful hearers. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 25, you go to a study or you read a study or you read a book and you're like, oh, that was cool, man. The Lord really spoke to me. But then you go out and you forget. You forget the things that he shows you, right? We forget so many things, even that we're cleansed. We forget that. We read last week, if you go back to chapter 1, Look in verse 9, it says, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even in blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. I mean, we forget, you know, the things that God shows us in his word. We forget that as Christians we're cleansed, and the enemy sometimes comes in and condemns us. Or we forget that we're cleansed from those old sins, and we go back to our old sins. We forget so easily. You know one of the things that's crazy, you guys? We forget Jesus. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ instituted communion. And he says, as often as you get together and you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you do this in remembrance of me. Because we so easily forget Jesus. 
we need reminders. I pray that today you would remember him and that you'd remember the truth in which we're established. You see, looking at our study today, we see, number one, the reminders of God, present and future reminders, but we also see the revelation of God. You know, when it comes to the Lord and the things of the Lord, we wouldn't know a whole lot if he had not revealed himself to us, right? And and so, you know, I, real quick, I don't know if you guys can catch this or not, but there's two types of revelation, okay? You wouldn't know anything about God unless he showed himself to you. And uh, there's what's called general revelation and special revelation. General revelation is what everybody knows. You can go out there to the, 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 the villages of Cambodia, one of the poorest places in the world, they know. They know because they have creation and they have a conscience. The whole wide world has general revelation and the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God and they have a conscience within them that tells them they're sinners in need of a savior. They this know it's general revelation. But then there's also what's called special revelation and special revelation is the, the details of God you know, and you wouldn't know uh, all his attributes that are that are rich in, that are, you know, we're going to see in two ways. Number one, through Jesus, and number two, through the Bible. That's what we call the living word, that's Jesus, and the written word, that's the Bible. That's special revelation, Jesus and the Bible. And that's what we see here. It's interesting. Look at verse 16. He says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter says, I, I want to always remind you, I want to remind you now, I want to make sure that when I die you're still reminded. Well, reminded of what? Reminded of, of the truth. Reminded of who God is. Well, how are you going to know who God is? Number one, you look at Jesus. You look at Jesus. You know, Peter here says, man, I, I saw him. <laughs> I saw him with my own eyes. He says, we didn't follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You know, why would Peter want so desperately to remind the people and to make sure that the people remained reminded? And the answer is because there are a lot of liars out there. There's a, a, a battle that we're in. The devil wants to keep you busy, you know, and deceived and distracted, right? His agenda is to take you away from the simplicity that is in Christ. I mean, there are lies. This is the truth. Peter says this wasn't some fable that we fabricated. This is true, Jesus is true, and you got to know that. We, he says, were eyewitnesses of the power and coming of Christ. He says there in verse 16 that they saw the Son of God. 
I mean, they saw him, right? And of course, we know this eyewitness uh, testimony in court is a slam dunk, right? I mean, especially if you have multiple eyewitnesses. Uh, Peter saw him with his own eyes, and so did others. Uh, the Bible talks about many, over 500 witnesses that saw him rise from the dead. But not only that, not only Jesus rising from the dead, but what Peter is primarily referring to is not his resurrection, but his transfiguration. And, and for that, I was wondering if you could turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, in verse 28, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming, notice, in his kingdom. So there's something real glorious about that. Jesus said, you know what, some of you guys here, and he's talking to all his disciples, there's some of you here, you're not going to die till you see this. And so we read in chapter 17, it says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother. They led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Uh, Luke says he said that because he didn't know what he was supposed to say, so he just <laughs> kind of blurted it out, right? But while he's speaking, look what happens. It says, Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud. Imagine that. And it said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and do not be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. You know, they. this is what Peter is talking about, uh, about the, the eyewitness testimony. This is the incident that, that changed his life, that, that he, by the Holy Spirit, would later recall and, and without a shadow of a doubt, he knew who Jesus was because he saw him. He was an eyewitness. I mean, think about how amazing that must have been to have a face shining like the sun, right? I mean, then and Jesus' clothes transfigured right before them. They become as white as light. And, you know, uh, again, we might have special effects on some movie or maybe you have a great imagination, but let me tell you, I mean, this is a million times more amazing than anything you could ever think of in your human intellect. I mean, without a doubt, I mean, I don't know if you ever think about the day, the moment when you and I, when we will see God. We're going to see God. Job says that. I mean, and when you see God, there's nothing like that. Peter saw God. When Jesus was transfigured before them, it was like, not in his fullness, not God in his fullness, but he saw a glimpse of his glory. 
And Peter said, I want, I'm about to die. I know you heard it before and you're establishing it, but I pray you would know this and that you would always know this, who Jesus is. I mean, we saw were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He was transfigured before them. The Greek word is uh, metamorphosis. We get our word uh, metamorphosis from it. And, and, and it means to change into another form. Uh, theologians tell us that Christ's appearance was changed and, and resplendent, they say, with divine brightness on the Mount of Transfiguration. I mean, it's a different nature, right? It's a Shekinah glory, eternal royalty. This is majesty. And, and Peter, back in Second Peter, goes on to say that they were eyewitnesses of his majesty, a word that means greatness, magnificence, and splendor. I mean, Peter saw the Son of God, and Peter heard Father God. What did Father God say when he spoke from the excellence? And imagine that. There's this cloud, this bright cloud, and out of it comes a voice. Now, let me ask you a question. The voice of God. Do you think there's any other voice like the voice of God? You're thinking, well, James, what's that guy? James Earl Jones, what's that guy? That? Yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> We're talking like, um, um, you know, a million times more glorious than that. First uh, John says that which we saw, that which we heard, that which we've seen, we've touched with our hands, we declare to you. I mean, these guys, they saw him. These guys, they heard God. And what did the father say? This is my son that I love, my beloved son who, in whom I'm well pleased. What did the father say? Hear him. Listen to Jesus. Listen to him. Right? And, I, and you know, they, they found their face and, you know, Peter had suggested they build three tabernacles and the Lord says, that's ridiculous. There's no one like my son. You don't compare my son to Moses. You don't compare my son to Elijah. There's no one like Jesus. And so when Jesus came and touched them, they looked up and they saw Jesus only. Right? And I, I just want to encourage you guys in that, in your relationship with God. You stay focused on, on the living word. You want to know how God is? You read about Jesus. You know, there's no one like him. Think about it. I mean, who spoke the greatest words? Who did the greatest works? Jesus just loved the people. He wasn't like Muhammad, who established a religion through violence. He wasn't like Buddha, who left his family. No, Jesus, what we find, was the founder of the truth. You got to follow him. You know, some people say, well, there's many roads that lead to heaven and you can be this or that or the other in various religions. And if that's the case, then Jesus would have never had to die. Remember when Jesus was there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cut pass from me. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to be nailed to the cross and experience separation from you and bear the sins of the world if I don't have to, if there's any other way. And, and the father could have said, you know what, son? There is another way. They can go that way or they can go that way. You don't have to die. No, he died. Now, some people don't like the fact that he's only the only way. <laughs> but you shouldn't be that way because I just thank God that he made a way. Jesus died for you. 
Now all you have to do is place your faith in him. Turn from your sins and trust in Christ. Make him the Lord and Savior of your life. You know, in looking at this, we see Peter here, he talks about Jesus and he's the the living word and how the Father testified, you know, of Jesus' nature. And then he closes in, in verse 19 through 21 with the written word. And so, he says in verse 19, we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to do what? To heed. As a light that shines in a dark place. For how long? Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. You see, we have the the living word, that's Jesus, and then we have the written word. And what's that? You guys know what that is? That's the Bible. Okay, now I know my Bible's huge because I'm getting blind. It doesn't matter though if you have a small Bible or a big Bible. What matters is that you have a Bible. And what he's saying right here is that the Lord, it's kind of funny, it's kind of cool how it works. Uh, Christ confirmed the word, and in, in one sense, the word confirmed Christ. They they go together, right? And in looking at this, let me just share with you real quick, because we're running out of time. Um, number one, confirmation. Uh, just a few things about this written word, that it's confirmed, that it's true, right? That You know, it's interesting, when you study the life of Christ, there are 332 Old Testament prophecies regarding Jesus that he fulfilled perfectly, right? And so I encourage you to pick up a book by Herbert Locker. It's called All the Messianic Prophecies. And you go through and you see all the way that throughout the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi, how it just spoke of Jesus coming, right? I mean, and the odds of that are are just amazing. Um, 332 prophecies, um, the one uh, uh, theologian, what he did was he took just eight of the prophecies of Christ and he said, what are the odds of just eight of them being filled? And he said that the odds of that would be 10 to the 17th power. And so that's the whole state of Texas, two feet deep in silver dollars. Okay, think about how big Texas is, right? Imagine that. And then you take one of those silver dollars and you put an X on it, you throw it in the middle, you drop it off some helicopter, you take a guy, you blindfold him, and you tell him, go in, you got one chance to pick that one coin. In the whole state of Texas, what are the odds of that? That's only eight prophecies. Jesus fulfilled 332. He is surely the Christ, right? The Lord said, I want to make sure you guys know this. Not only do we have confirmation spoken of here, but we also have application. Notice he says there in verse 19, which you do well to heed. You know, don't be that type of person to read the Bible, but you don't heed the Bible. I mean, if God says jump, then we say, how high, Lord? I mean, I encourage you to be a people that as you study the word of God, you listen, you ask him to speak to you. And when he does, you do what he tells you to do, right? That's what he says. Hey, you want to do well? Then you should not just read the Bible, 
but you should heed it. You should love it. You should learn it. You should live it. James talks about that, but be doers of the word, he says in James one twenty two, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. A lot of times people think, well, I went to church, I read my Bible, so I'm good. No, you're not good. That's just a start, my friend. You go and you read and you find out what does God want you to do, and then with all your heart and by the grace of God, you go out and you be that man, be that woman. We have the Word of God to direct our life. He talks about confirmation, application. He talks about illumination, which you do well to heed as what? A light that shines in a dark place. Without the truths of the Bible, then you are in the dark. You know, and we don't see that a whole lot here because we have lights everywhere. But you guys know how it is when you go camping, how dark it can be. Have you guys ever go camping? If not, you should just go and don't take a flashlight. No, I'm just joking. You, I mean, I'm serious. At night, it gets so pitch black. Where would you be without a, a flashlight? That's kind of how it is without the Word. You know, and I know that some people look at the Bible and they think it's big. You know what? I'm telling you this. By the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, He will teach you this Word. And your light, as the Bible talks about, it's a light that shines our way. Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Proverbs 6.23, it says, The commandment is a lamp and the law a light. Reproofs are the instruction and the way of life. You know, he talks about all these things, the confirmation, application, illumination, and then inspiration there. Notice in verse 20, he says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so some people wonder, well, how did we get the Bible? Have you guys ever heard someone tell you, well, the Bible was just written by men? Well, it's true. It it was written by men, but it was also written by God. 100% 100% man, 100% God. Right here he says it, it's not of any private interpretation. And what that means, it, it wasn't like an individual man who gave us the origin of it. He tells us there in verse 21 that the way that prophecy came, the way that they gave the word was that these holy men of God, notice it says, spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so it's not dictation It's what we call inspiration. That as Peter's there and he's going to write a letter because he loves these people, as he's writing, it's all him, he's all in. But so is the Holy Spirit writing the words to give to us so that we would have the truth. And that's why Jesus said, you know, you guys have the scriptures and they can't be broken. That's why Jesus said every jot and every tittle would come to pass. And that's the smallest Hebrew letter and the smallest Hebrew grammar point. I mean, this word that you guys have right here, this Bible, let me tell you something. It is a miracle. And that's why sometimes it's hard to get down and start reading it because the devil doesn't want you to read your Bibles. Man, I encourage you guys as we go through this, that we would take this for what it is. It's the word of God written to us that we might know him, that we might be saved. 
you know, the way a person is saved is that the Spirit of God will take the Word of God and conceive a child of God. That's how you get saved. And the way that a person gets strong or sanctified is the Word of God will take, the Spirit of God will take the Word of God and He'll create us more and more, make us more and more into the image of God. And so what do we need to do? We need to start reading our Bibles, really, really studying your Word. I love Psalm 19, verse 7. It tells us those two things. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. See, that's the one who gets saved. And it says, The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I don't know about you, but when I see that word simple, I put my name right there. I'm all, that's me, Lord. I mean, I didn't even have common sense before I was a Christian. I had no direction. I didn't know anything. Not smart, brain messed up because of drugs. You name it, Lord. I am like the simplest of the simple. And God says, that's okay, son. I'll tell you what, I got a deal for you. You start studying the Bible. You start saturating yourself in the scriptures. You come to this book right here that is my love letter to you with a hungry and open heart. And I will change your life. I'll make you wise. Even though you are a simple man. You see? And that's what God will do. That's why when you guys come to Calvary Chapel... You know, we just teach you the Bible. You know, we will teach you from Genesis to Revelation and then we'll start over again and we'll just teach you the Bible because we know that the the word of man is just the word of man. Psychology, sociology, all that kind of stuff. People have fun and they make jokes and all that stories. That's That's all that stuff and that's okay in one sense, but it's not spiritually edifying and beneficial. This right here, the Word of God is what will change your life. And so I encourage you to um, turn off the TV every once in a while. I mean, it's okay to watch I Love Lucy and maybe you leave it to Beaver and uh, I don't know, uh, a couple of things here and there. But, you know, I've kind of noticed this. Like, what's the dream? I want a big screen. I mean, isn't that, it's like everybody's obsessed with big screens now, huh? 70 inch, bro, yeah, Black Friday. And it, I don't know, man, but I have a feeling that if one of the prophets, like, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, one of these guys, if they were alive today and if they were talking, you know what they'd be talking about? They'd be talking about, man, you guys watch too much television, <laughs> right? I tell you what, just give God a half an hour, give him a little time. Go and you open up your Bible and you say, hey, that, that, that short, funny-looking guy over there in Almani said that if I do this, that you would kind of bless my life. And so let me try it. And I tell you what, if you do, um, man, God, he's going to bless your life beyond your wildest imagination. Because here's the thing. Uh, one last verse I want to share with you. You don't have to turn there, but um, in, in John chapter 6, This was a time when a lot of people were leaving Jesus. A lot of people were were leaving him. Kind of like today. A lot of people 
are leaving the Lord. They're not following the Lord anymore. They're not serving the Lord anymore. You know, less and less people in America believe in God. Less and less people in America go to church on a consistent basis. So this is a time when people were leaving the Lord. And in John chapter 6, uh, notice what it says in verse 66. It says, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. I mean, imagine that. You're walking with the Lord, but it gets tough. I don't understand this. That was kind of the backdrop to that. And so they just said, you know what? they, They left, right? And so this is what Jesus does. He says in verse 67, Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter, I love what he said. Here's our guy Peter again. He answered him and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. See? And in Peter's letter, it was all about people trying to pull them away, to take them away, to go away. And I can almost hear Jesus saying to you and to me, because just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I'm all in. I mean, to us. How about you, Manny? Are you going to stay? And my prayer is that like Peter, we would have that same heart. Lord, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.